Hi, this is Stuart Weems, and thank you for listening to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy-to-understand insight strategies and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about investment-grade apartments in Melbourne in particular, uh, but I suspect uh, this would probably apply to the rest of the country as well, given the things I'm going to talk about aren't uh, geographically uh, just centred on Melbourne, but they uh, apply across uh, across the country. Uh, firstly, let me define what I talk about investment-grade apartments. Investment-grade apartments have the three characteristics of any investment-grade property in that uh, more than 50% of their value is represented in land value. Uh, they've got scarcity, scarcity in terms of architectural style and also in terms of location. So they're in very scarce, highly desirable locations and they have strong proven performance. That is, we can go back and have a look at the growth over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years and it's demonstrated that it's got the capacity to generate, you know, 7% or more compounding uh, capital growth rate. Uh, investment grade apartments typically tend to be built before 1970. So we're really talking about Art Deco, something that was uh, built in the in the 20s or 30s, uh, right through to 1970, uh, maybe a little bit older than, or newer than that, I should say. Uh, but that's the general range. So just so we know what we're sort of talking about, there'll be in blue chip suburbs. Uh, I'm not talking about you know, any sort of high rise uh, apartments and so forth. Uh, so in February this year, I wrote a blog suggesting I thought they were intrinsically undervalued. And there's been a few things that have occurred over the last six months since writing that blog uh, that actually uh, cement my view and I think um, uh, make it even even stronger uh, that uh, that perhaps their investment-grade apartments are really positioned for very strong capital growth over, let's say, the next five to ten years. I, mean, I don't know when it's going to happen. No one really does. And I'm not going to sit here pretending that I'm an expert and, and that I do know. Uh, but uh, perhaps if I share uh, my line of thinking here, uh, you can understand where I'm coming from. Uh, so, as always, you'll find all the information in the, in the show notes anyway. Uh, but firstly, uh, my first point is that houses have become uh, very expensive. In, in those blue chip locations that I'm talking about, you know, if you want to buy a, a quality house in a quality street, uh, you've got to be spending somewhere between 1.3 and, say, $1.7 million. You've got to be in that range. That's expensive, and not a lot of people have the financial capacity to be able to purchase at that range. But assuming people don't want to compromise in terms of location uh, and if they don't have that sort of money to spend, let's even just say north of a million dollars to spend, then they're going to be forced into the apartment market. However, five, ten years ago, that you, you could have uh, spent sub a million dollars and got yourself a decent, quality, well-located house. So therefore, what I'm suggesting is because of the price points have changed, uh, there's going to be a greater volume of potential purchases that are now going to be forced to consider looking at apartments uh, as opposed to houses. Now, you might say, Stuart, that's stupid. Uh, people, if they want a house, they'll just go a little bit further out. That's true, and a bunch of people will do that. But there are a bunch of potential purchases that won't want to compromise in terms of location. Um, and let's not forget, you know, um, less people are actually having children or having children later. Uh, there's more single professionals living alone that won't necessarily want to live in a, a one-bed apartment, but are quite happy to maybe live in a two-bedroom apartment as opposed to a two-bedroom house. Uh, so I think there's still a, a large volume of potential purchases in that range. 
The second observation, uh, and sorry, just to round that out, um, houses have performed very strongly in terms of capital growth-wise over the last uh, five to ten years. There's anecdotal evidence that that's changed, that demand for uh, quality houses in those areas has subsided. So what I'm going to talk about in a second is how uh, property moves in spurts, in, in cycles, in growth cycles. Perhaps... And I'm not suggesting this is this is uh, with any strength uh, is 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 accurate, but perhaps there's anecdotal evidence that maybe houses have had their run, and now it's apartments' turn. Uh, secondly, tightening credit. So uh, obviously, as I've uh, spoken about and written about almost ad nauseum over the last couple of years, credit is substantially tighter than it was, for example, five years ago. That compresses people's borrowing capacity and therefore pushes them down uh, the rung from perhaps a house into the apartment sector. So we have to understand that this credit crunch will push will make houses even less affordable, notwithstanding, obviously, the price appreciation over the last five years or so, but also then the tightening of credit. Again, if people want to live in a really good suburb, blue-chip suburb that has all the amenities that they're, they've been used to perhaps as a renter, uh, then they're going to have to compromise and they're going to have to consider uh, perhaps an investment-grade apartment. So I think that's one of the flow-on effects to this uh, credit tightening. The other thing to consider in particular suburbs, and this is going to be very geographical, um, is the supply of new build apartments. And quite often there's a lot of literature and, and, and commentary around supply of apartments, and they'll quote numbers, 20,000 new apartments in Melbourne and so forth. Uh, those numbers are good at a macro level, but really aren't that useful to you and I if we're contemplating investment in a particular location. What's more important is to consider how much uh, supply of new apartments are going to is going to come in onto the market over the next five years. Now, typically, typically you can you can ascertain that relatively easy because you you know what developments have been marketed and what developments are currently being constructed. So, for people in Melbourne, to give you an example, uh, certainly over the last say ten years, South Yarra and Paran have had a lot of development. But a lot of that development is now being built. There aren't a lot of new, very large new build developments. I mean, it's still happening in that area naturally, it will, and it will continue to happen for years to come. But but it's sort of come to the end of that cycle where, you know, five years ago there was a lot of uh, current and proposed projects in the pipeline that haven't yet come online and and, and um, had purchases and own occupiers and renters occupy them. Uh, but you compare that to, for, for example, Richmond and even to an extent East Melbourne, um, there is currently still a lot of large projects that are currently in the cycle of being built. So that still needs to work its way through. Um, so uh, that's going to impair, because of the supply demand, that, that will impair growth in those suburbs, I think, in the shorter term. Now, that's not to reason not to invest. Um, in fact, it might be a great reason to invest because of that demand supply, and you might be able to get in at a at a at a lower rate, at lower price point, I should say. Uh, but they're the sorts of things to consider. So ignore that macro data. It's really about looking at the the geographical um, elements. Now, what I wanted to do is share with you an example of a particular property. 
that I happened to be looking at this week because a client purchased it last month as an investment, and it's in uh, Carlton North. Um, and and I looked at its past growth, and it actually um, demonstrated this point really, really well. Now, I understand it's only one property, so statistically it's not representative or it can't make a great argument, and I'm not trying to make a great argument here, uh, a great statistical argument at least. All I'm trying to do is demonstrate that property growth is almost never linear, and we've got to understand that, that um, geographical property segments go through different cycles of growth. You know, they might be in a growth phase for a period of years and then they'll be in a, a sustainable sort of moving sideways phase and then they might enter another growth phase and so forth. Uh, so uh, quite often the property market can move uh, in in very uh, large chunks in very small periods of time. So that is the uh, a price of a particular property might be at a certain point and then after a couple of weeks they're at a new point. And, and, and property prices move spasmodically like this. So I've profiled in the show notes a, a property in Richard, Richardson Street in Carlton North. And I've tracked the, all its sales uh, since 1975. So there's uh, 43 years of data there. And what, what I've shown is there have been sort of three periods of growth over that 43 years. So from 1975 about through to uh, 1993, the growth rate was about uh, just under 13% over that 18-year period. Then it had a period of of um, consolidation, really, moving sideways with very essentially no growth for 13 years. And then uh, a final period, so that was really between uh, 1993 and about 2004, 2005. And then since uh, that period... Uh, it's grown at 13% again for, for 14 years. So 18 years of very strong growth, 13 years of no growth, 14 years of very strong growth. Um, and, and that's anecdotally how property markets move. Now, over the, the whole term, the, the 43 years, the growth rate has been 9.6%, which is a very healthy growth rate, I'm sure you would agree. Um, but but the looking at and tracking and, and actually graphing the sales really does demonstrate how um, property works. So anecdotally, again, if houses have been through a very grow, strong growth spurt, and if there's anecdotal evidence to suggest that that perhaps is coming to an end, then what I'm hypothesizing is that perhaps apartments are going to have their day. Perhaps the market will swing around. Historically, over the last five years, it's been houses have been growing strongly, apartments have been doing nothing. Well, maybe that'll switch around and houses will do nothing and apartments will uh, grow strongly. Uh, you've got to think also, uh, if we look at Richardson Street, 9.6% uh, of growth over 43 years, uh, and you have a look at that time period from 1975, uh, you, you uh, come to appreciate that actually that that property has endured a lot of challenges. Introduction of capital gains tax and the temporary uh, uh, abolition of um, negative gearing in, in 1985, Interest rates of 18% or more in the early 90s, three economic recessions, introduction of GST in 2000, and a couple of massive share market crashes have occurred over that time period. But you can see during that time period, it's had periods of still very strong growth despite these things occurring. Um, and in the long run, if, if you're a long-term property investor, uh, you've been rewarded substantially of a, a, a capital growth rate of nearly 
uh, 10%. So the credit tightening that we're having today and its impacts, uh, don't be concerned as a long-term uh, property investor. These things will work their way through, and at the end of the day, the fundamentals will rise to the top. There's always a strong trend of mean reversion. There's been a lot of studies about this, which suggests suggests that if there's a period of no price growth, it's typically followed by a period of strong price growth. And again, a, a period of strong price growth is typically followed by either a correction or a period of no growth, which is kind of what we're seeing in the, in the Sydney market, period of very strong growth. Uh, a, a small correction, maybe prices have come off 10%, and, and then it'll probably do nothing for a few years, uh, price growth-wise. Um, but the good quality properties will still continue to grow, albeit at a, at a, a much lower rate uh, compared to their longer-term uh, average, uh, but they still will hold their value. And all you can really do, I mean, no one knows when these periods will start and end, and I can talk about anecdotal evidence, and I could be right and I could be wrong, and really it's probably just due to random bad, uh, good or bad luck, um, not, not through any skill. No one in the world has developed a proven, reliable model to predict when these cycles will occur. So therefore, the only thing that we can do is invest in fundamentally sound assets. However, what I'm proposing at the moment is that if you're looking prospectively at a property market investment at a time when, you know, property's not that popular and interest rates uh, are low and credit's tight, so contrarian view would be it's a perfect time to invest. And if you're looking at a prospective property investment and you're weighing up, should you buy a house or should you buy an apartment, all I'm saying in the cycles is perhaps... Uh, there's evidence out there to show that apartments, uh, good quality investment grade apartments are undervalued. So next week's podcast is going to be, because this is a bit of a prelude, I want, I need to get this uh, off my chest. Uh, next week's podcast is going to be what makes a better investment, a, a house or an apartment. Um, and, uh, and so stay tuned for that. Okay. Until next week. See you later.